Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to Cats by 90, a podcast dedicated to you, the Big Blue Nation. Basketball, football, and the latest recruiting news. If it's Kentucky sports, then it's here on Cats by 90. Now, from SB Nation's A Sea of Blue, your hosts, Big Blue Drew and Aaron Gershon. Hello, welcome to the Cats by 90 podcast, Big Blue Drew and Aaron Gershon and what's hopefully going to be a very celebratory edition of the Cats by 90 podcast because as you know, Kentucky goes down to Knoxville, handles business for the first time since 1984, puts a whooping on the volunteers 34 to 7, which we're going to have a lot of fun with their fans being upset, their media out of control, they're firing coaches. I mean, the Cats just absolutely fired on all cylinders on Saturday, Aaron. And I'm anxious to talk to you because I know you just um, got done with some press conference stuff today. But, man, it's um, it, did it surprise you? I mean, <laughs> given the history that you just mentioned, the fact that uh, Kentucky hasn't won in Knoxville since 84, or had it, I should say now, and only two wins the last 33 years. Uh, yeah, absolutely, I'm surprised. And more so, you know, I try to look at it one year ahead. It's hard to with that history and just how many different ways Kentucky has found a way to lose to Tennessee and the fact they've been the more talented team the last couple of years and still haven't gotten over that hump. You and I were both there in 2018 when UK won 10 games. Tennessee wasn't a bowl team, and Tennessee still stomped them. So uh, I was definitely surprised uh, that it was a whooping. But, you know, in hindsight, you look at the rosters and – you know, Tennessee did some really good things early in the year. It kind of imploded the second half against Georgia. Uh, but, I mean, they were awful. I mean, Kentucky played a great game, don't get me wrong. But Tennessee looked defeated. They looked pr- like there's a lot of problems inside the program, as you hear. <laughs> the fan base going nuts. They hire, they fire a defensive line coach when the defensive line's been one of the strong suits of the team uh, this year, which makes you think there are personnel issues or maybe – behind-the-scenes issues that we don't know about with that guy. So a guy who was at Kentucky for a long time uh, uh, as their defensive line coach. So just a messy game for the balls. But for Kentucky, man, what a huge confidence booster. And, uh, you know, they can really build off this because it was one of the monkeys that they've still not gotten off their back was being able to beat Tennessee. Well, they still got to do it consistently. They still got to prove that. But to beat them in Knoxville, it's just a humongous, humongous deal. And it could really be a confidence booster going forward because six games left. And other than Vanderbilt, there's no game that you could chalk up as a win uh, just saying, just looking at the opponent. Yeah, I have a couple points on just everything, I guess, holistically. Like, number one, my biggest takeaway from Saturday was that every single chance, and I guess, you know, the last, what, eight or nine years or whatever, that you think Kentucky football is going to take a step back, uh, Mark Stoops doesn't let it happen. 
that was one of the biggest reasons that I guess I was I, I, I was surprised by the result too. I mean, I picked Kentucky twenty eight seventeen. I never thought that they were. I say never thought, but I would have been surprised if they you know won the game by eleven points. Obviously, was extremely surprised they dominated it the way that they did. But that was a huge takeaway for me. Mark Stoops has just answered the bell every time, and you know, Aaron, you hear the rumblings online, like even in you know, the, the first quarter of the Tennessee game when things get going down, the fan just basically kind of keeps churning. And there's a percentage of them that wants to say that, right? Like, oh, this looks like old Kentucky football. That's such a term that we use. But this is insane, Aaron. But I, I was thinking about this after the game. I wanted to bring it up. It's like I'm thinking the opposite now. Like, instead of thinking negative, like instead of thinking that Kentucky's going to go down there and lay an egg in Tennessee because it's Tennessee, I just tried to look at the last few years and be like, man, the teams th- that they're putting on the field are just – so good, especially defensively. And that was my second point is just that I think it's so much easier to say that this defense that we've seen over the last two weeks, much um, closer compares to the defense that we thought we would see in the preseason compared to the first two games. So from that aspect, I'm not surprised either. I'm surprised after watching them play against Ole Miss and Auburn, what they've done the last two games. But from a preseason expectation, I think this defense is, you know, what we closely expected. Hell, it's probably even better than what we expect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what the last two games, I mean, it, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I wanted to go to like, you know, whatever the last 15 right. or 20 possessions have been. But just it's, it's crazy. Yeah, they've allowed – look, they've allowed seven points the last eight quarters. Mm-hmm. The safety against Mississippi State was a, a bad snap by, the, by a long snapper who's in his first year on the job. So you gave up that one drive where Eric Gray kind of just ran down their throats in the second quarter, but – no harm, no foul. You have 10 turnovers the last two games after not having a single one uh, the first two. It's unbelievable what this defense is doing, though. I will say uh, just to, you know, Quentin Bohanna is a big loss for this mm-hmm. team. He has been phenomenal. Uh, he's been a guy that maybe he's not showing up in the stat sheet, but he's getting to the quarterback and making them throw the ball away, making them throw uh, interceptions, silly mistakes. I think he might have had a, a – tip pass against Mississippi State. Um, it sounds like he's, it's not a season-ending injury, but you're not going to see him against Missouri. You're probably not going to see him against Georgia. Uh, then you'll have the bye week and reassess. Um, I believe they'll play Vanderbilt out of the bye before the hell of Alabama and Florida on the road back-to-back. But he's going to be a huge loss. But at the end of the day, uh, you still have Phil Hoskins in the middle there. You'll have Marcon McCall, who's pretty experienced for a junior, redshirt junior. I believe they kept the redshirt on him uh, in 2018. And then you have Justin Rogers, who's obviously uh, the highest recruit Kentucky's had uh, since, I think, like 2000. I can't normalize what this defense has done, Aaron. Like, even you just talking about, we just keep using words like unbelievable and stuff like that, but it is genuinely tough to, like, normalize this because it's unprecedented, man, the fact that they've done this. And what do you think about this, too, Aaron? And not to be negative because Kentucky did, obviously, a ton of great things on Saturday, but I made the point that, I mean, if you really take away those momentum building, at least the first pick six, it's just really tough for me, Aaron, to normalize what this defense has done over the last two weeks. Like, we just keep using words like unbelievable, incredible, like that's never been done before. But it's insanity, like it really is. I mean, and we, we left thinking that from the Mississippi State game and to where they picked up. And I wanted to ask you this too, Aaron, and, and not to get too negative because Kentucky obviously did a ton of good stuff on Saturday. But that if that pick six doesn't happen in the in the first half, like I'm not sure where that game goes because if you remember, I mean, tearing them didn't come out firing on all cylinders or anything. 
and he started hearing those rumblings. Like we were even saying, kind of expecting maybe Joey Gatewood to get some run on Saturday after the first few minutes of that game. So just can't overstate what this defense have done. And Mark Stoops in Kentucky have done this for several years now, anchored with the defense. But these last two games have just been literally unfathomable to think what they've done. Yeah, I mean, the first pick six was obviously a, a huge momentum shift. I mean, yeah, you're right. The offense did not look good in the first quarter. Uh, Terry Wilson definitely uh, deserves some blame, but Josh Ellie, you got to hold on to the ball there, especially when you're the main receiver. Uh, the offensive line was beat on a couple plays. So, you know, I think we can get into Terry later. I, I think he's getting so much blame that's not all on him. Uh, and I, lo- I can't wait to see Joey Gatewood out there. But with everything Terry's gone through, I want to see him keep going. But we'll get back to that later. But I, I really felt like when Jamin Davis had the 85-yard uh, pick six on the ensuing Tennessee possession, uh, I, I wasn't there in Knoxville. I don't think you were either. But they showed on TV just the sideline, Tennessee sideline, and how demoralized they looked. Uh, Jared Garantado had his head down. That's always a bad sign. Even after a quarterback throws a pick six, uh, the good ones usually keep their head up and they're ready to go on the next drive. All right. Head was down. And so, that could not have been a better segue because as we, we promised a little bit on our Twitter page, at Cats by 90 that we were going to have some fun with the Tennessee Volunteer fans um, with just some of the hilarious audio that was coming out, and they were just complete meltdown, Tennessee Twitter, ball Twitter on Saturday. So th- I don't, I'm sure you've probably heard this one, Aaron, but this is a, um, a Tennessee Balls fan. Clearly looks like he picked, to set the stage. It looks like he picked up the phone, called maybe his dad, a buddy, Another Tennessee fan and was just absolutely oh. heated about that first pick six. And, and here's what happens. This is so good. I can I laugh every time. His face just as they're playing this. So just terrific. And if you haven't seen that, you got to just watch it a few times because there's so many little tidbits are good. There's clearly a, a you know a rather elderly woman in the background just yelling, "Unbelievable!" Like it's it's just gold all around, man. And I mean, just absolutely two weeks in a row, Aaron. They have just demoralized the program. They've created quarterback controversy. Two weeks in a row, Aaron, this defense has literally created a quarterback country controversy for a couple of programs that really thought they had their guy, probably definitely Mississippi State. So, I mean, it's just – it is unprecedented. And good for Brad White and the defense, man, to see that because I hated to see that huge regression from, you know, the last two years. I mean, they were just, like I said, one of the best defenses in the country. And big shout-out to a, a friend of a sea of blue and somebody we've had a lot of, like, um, connection with, I guess, over the last year or so, J.J. Weaver, man. Absolutely just making impact plays, you know, for a player of his age. And I, I was kind of laughing, too, on Twitter. Um, Justin Rowland from Rivals reminded everybody that, dude, next year he's going to literally be a third-year freshman. That's right. That's right with all the eligibility stuff, uh, the blanket waiver this year. And, uh, yeah, he definitely had his best college game. And next year he's probably going to be starting at outside linebacker aside from Jordan Wright with uh, Boogie Watson. Yes, yeah, the blanket waiver, but – uh, he's a senior that's probably on his way to the NFL. I don't see him coming back. But, yeah, Weaver, he was a menace out there. And one guy that deserves so much credit. I think he's been maybe the best – not the best player on the team, but the team MVP so far this year has got to be Jamin Davis. I mean, the dude has led the team in tackles, I believe. Uh, definitely the last two games. I don't know if he did 
against Auburn or Ole Miss. I'd have to go back and look at the stats. Um, he has a pick against uh, Mississippi State in the end zone, uh, wearing Chris Oates number 22. And then he has obviously the 85-yard pick six that, like I said, felt like the dagger on Saturday. And he's a guy that he's a junior, but he, he played a, a little bit toward the end of the year last year when, you know, uh, Cash Daniel was dealing with that injury, he played aside Chris Oates. And then this year, he, I mean, he wasn't supposed to be – where is that now? It's supposed to, of course, be Oates and DeAndre Square. And obviously – everything that happened with Chris Oates. And you hate to see that this is the situation where Jamin Davis has gotten to kind of prove himself, but he stepped in and, you know, all the questions were about this inside linebacking group being the Achilles heel of the defense and maybe even the entire roster. Well, Jamin Davis, man, he's playing like one of the best linebackers in the SEC. He has been absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, you, I think you could call attention to just so many players on the defense that have, stepped up and again especially over this last eight quarters of football um what do you think Aaron let's rapid fire some topics here we're gonna stay on football all the time whoop Tennessee's ass I had to we had some technical difficulties I'm hoping I can still play I got a couple a uh, couple good audio pieces left um Aaron have you heard the video of um the guy saying that his wife left him because he threw the beer bottle during the game <laughs> I did it's phenomenal yeah <laughs> Yeah, that, you could tell. I almost feel bad listening to him, man, because you could just tell he was so remorseful and he just kept, you know, stating over and over, that's not me. I don't normally do that. So, man, Kentucky is just getting coaches fired on the defensive end. I mean, it has just been absolute domination for the last eight quarters. But, all right, rapid fire, like I said. So, one thing, how? what's your opinion, Aaron, on the schedule change? Obviously, Kentucky was supposed to get Georgia off that big game with Alabama. Um, so I think most people kind of, I guess, preferred that. Now they, instead of getting Georgia at home, they're going to travel all the way to Columbia, Missouri to play a Missouri team. So just what's your take in general on how COVID impacted the schedule, good, bad, and different? Well, first of all, you got to look at it from Missouri's perspective. Obviously, they haven't dealt I, – I mean, they probably had COVID issues, but they haven't dealt with issues that have cost them a game. So you don't want to see them get gypped out of playing two weeks in a row when they have no game uh, – when they have no – uh, reason not to play. So they lose their game, obviously, last week uh, with Vanderbilt. And then this week they're supposed to play Florida, who, of course, has a pretty significant outbreak. So I'm glad the SEC did that. I mean, is it great for Kentucky being in the middle of it? No. Uh, would you probably rather play Georgia this week, just given the momentum uh, you had building off the um, Tennessee win? And then Georgia obviously has a bit of a Stinker down at Alabama, which you can't really blame them for. Alabama's just too good. Uh, and now Georgia will have a bye week this week to get to prepare for Kentucky. But at the end of the day, I, I think that it makes a lot of sense from, like you said, the COVID standpoint. Um, and I think Kentucky, it's a good test because it will tell you uh, how, just where they are mentally and where they are from a leadership perspective. Because, you know, Missouri is not great. They have a first-year head coach, like Drinkwitz. They have a lot of young guys. Uh, excluding, I'm pretty sure their quarterbacks are true freshmen, so they're a pretty young squad, but they just beat the defending champions. Uh, they're playing with house money. No one has real expectations for them. They're going to make a bowl regardless if, the, um, no matter what, with the whole uh, record thing this year, not needing any wins uh, to be eligible for a bowl, so they're just going out there and trying to improve. Uh, and, of course, Kentucky's got to go on the road, so – uh, it'll be a good test for Kentucky to make sure they're not looking ahead or have a hangover effect from that Tennessee game last week. But uh, I think it was the right call. It was the right call for sure. Missouri doesn't deserve to sit out for doing nothing wrong. 
It sucks for me only because they moved this dang Georgia game up to Halloween, which with the kids is tough when it's on Halloween. But, uh, you know, now traditional trick-or-treating is not as big, especially COVID. Right. What what I forget is this week a noon kick or is next week a noon kick? I should probably know because I got to be at the Georgia. Uh, this week's four p.m. down in Columbia, and then I believe next next week will be at um at noon at Kroger Field. So Halloween noon Georgia, and hey man, I did some radio after Tennessee. They just thought I was you know high on the wind and boasting, but I'm dead serious, man. I, I said this and I truthfully mean it. If Kentucky goes down to Columbia. And not just wins. I would say they need to win, but looks good doing it like they've looked the last two weeks. And you just kind of come away like, wow. I mean, Georgia better come ready to play when they come to Lexington because I think Kentucky's going to be dialed up for that. And again, you saw, you heard it in Mark Stoops' speech after that game when he talked about, you know, that you know these games are, you know, beating Georgia's on his mind every single day. You know, taking the next step in the East is on his mind every single day. And I love to, Aaron, I wrote this on my pad. It, it, it makes me so happy. And Mark Stoops is such a perfect example of times when, like, a coach inherits a job or just they're at a place or whatever, and there's just crazy long streaks of losing or a bad streak in general. And they have to answer to it and speak to it for all these times, and they have basically nothing to do with how it started. So they have to kind of teeter that line. And then, man, once they win, they can puff their chest out and have the first person to ever do this. And Mark Stoops, um, Terry Touchdown, they, they've earned all that stuff. So – it's cool to see them, I guess, get to do that. And you heard him in that Instagram video kind of say he was sick of that stuff, losing to Tennessee. So, you know, that's on their mind, man. And I, I believe that. I think they better be ready to play Georgia. I mean, if Kentucky can can keep progressing and have a good game this week. Yeah, I mean, Georgia's kind of the last dragon Kentucky has to slay, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure uh, Georgia's the only team that – it is, I definitely know, the only team in the East uh, that Mark Stoops has not yet beaten. Uh, and they've lost 10 in a row – overall against Georgia and even toward the beginning of it, uh, Georgia, you know, Georgia went through a time where they weren't, they were good. They were better than Kentucky, obviously when Kentucky was a team, maybe in power five, but uh, they had their opportunities toward the beginning of this streak uh, if they had a better team. So uh, now Georgia is obviously a powerhouse and it's hard to look at that Alabama game too hard. Alabama, I'm, I've been telling people, <clears throat> I think Clemson's the best team in the country but this might yeah. be Alabama. Uh, this might be Nick Saban's best Alabama team, just given all the seniors they have. Jalen Waddle, have you? Oh my goodness, uh, is he a hell of a player? So, and well, obviously Kentucky will see Alabama later this year. But uh, Georgia has the best defense in the conference. I know Alabama uh, did a lot of damage to it, but they still do. My problem with Georgia is the quarterback play. Obviously, Jamie Newman, who a lot of people had high expectations for coming in from Wake Forest. Uh, decides to opt out. Um, JT Daniels, the USC transfer, is not ready yet due to a rib injury. Uh, the kid, I forget the name, they decided to start week one, uh, stunk up the joint. They go to Seston Bennett, who is a walk-on uh, fourth-string quarterback who played exceptional the first three weeks and even did some good things against Alabama last week. So it, I'm still not sold on him because of what he is. He's a walk-on fourth-string quarterback. But uh, – I definitely think this game, this Kentucky-Georgia game is going to be interesting. I don't think it'll be the route, the 21 nothing route we saw last year, even though it was a tie game at halftime at no score. But I guess you can't call that one a route. But more the routes we've seen in the past between Kentucky and Georgia, at least like the 2017 game, even the 18 game that decided the East, Georgia pretty much spanked Kentucky. So I don't think you'll see that. I don't know if you'll see an upset win, but I agree. Uh, Georgia is definitely going to want to spend these two weeks prepping very hard for Kentucky uh, this Kentucky team is not the Kentucky at old. They're not going to just lay down 
against Georgia. They're going to make it a game. All right, before I forget, so we kind of dedicated some time to making fun of Tennessee fans and their woes on Saturday, but I also opened it up to the, the followers of the show and people on Twitter just to kind of send some videos over of their reactions um, as Kentucky fans. How it made you feel, um, you know, being so long before we could have, you know, a big quality win over Tennessee. And our guy came through, my guy Jay Hayes did. He's a man. If you don't follow him, do that. It's J-H-A-Z-Z-E-K-Y. He hosts the Rockin' Kentucky Blue podcast. Um, good dude to follow. He's unique and his stuff's cool. So yeah. <clears throat> that being said, Aaron, I have no idea what to expect from this. I have not even listened to it yet. He sent us a 30-second video. He even included some um, Cats by 90 graphics because he's cool like that. Um, but here we go. We're going to listen to this and hope we can hear it through my AirPod. It was uh, 36 years ago when Kentucky went to Knoxville and beat Tennessee. Fast forward to 2020 in Kentucky, Spanks, Tennessee, in Knoxville, and on this day, just like the day 36 years ago, there were no chance. Sloppy top, good old sloppy top, Tennessee. Yes, I'm 90. Oh my God, but listen. It was, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Could you hear that at all, Aaron? Yeah, oh, I heard every word. <laughs> <laughs> all right, good. Well, hopefully it came through. It was to the Titanic background. And I'll send you the graphic. I'm going to retweet it. That's it's our Cats by 90 logo and, the, the, you know, the famous old lady rose from Titanic. And they're kind of like the same image. And he did it to Titanic. So, Jay's my guy. So he always brings him in. He, he does cool stuff. So, good for him. I know he's, um, he's highly optimistic about all things Kentucky. So, appreciate that. Um, all right, rapid fire again, Aaron. What about Drake Jackson, dude, in the O-line? Finally just kind of really um, making their mark like we thought that they would um, preseason as far as just like total domination. I know Drake Drake Jackson graded out as um, I think the top center um, by pro football. Um, pro football, what was it? Focus. Pro football focus rated Drake Jackson, among others, probably as the top graded center um, this week in college football. So I'm sure you saw some of his just pancake blocks and some of his highlights, which I've never enjoyed watching offensive linemen highlights as much as I did um, for this Kentucky-Tennessee game because they were just embarrassing those guys. Did you see the video of Drake that I think it got kind of got it, – it, it wasn't commonly saw during the game, but after the game he was pancaked to the ground by a, t- a Tennessee defender just taking his anger out of him, throws him to the turf. Uh, late in the game after a run, and Drake just flips him the double birds while he's laying on the ground. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious and kind of just mm-hmm. of uh, this game. But yeah, no, Drake. Drake's phenomenal. The senior, he's going to be an NFL draft pick. He'll be playing on Sundays. Landon Young was the SEC offensive lineman of the week. Another guy is going to be playing on Sundays. Darian Kennard, outside of Alex Leatherwood at Alabama, is the best uh, offense tackle in the conference. Uh, he's a junior, but I don't think he'll be back next year. He's going to be playing. He was pancaking guys, too. He had some play. I mean, literally, I think Cole Kublik, um tweeted it. Yep. Like, he literally lifted a dude off his feet, a lineman from Tennessee. It, just Kentucky just dominating the trenches like this is just some, something that is still tough to get used to, you know, three years later, I guess. But the offensive line was just manhandling them. And for Kentucky fans listening, just cherish it right now, man. I mean, I'm not saying uh, this mm-hmm. could be something going forward, but – you have four guys up there that aren't most likely won't be back next year in Fortner, Young, Jackson, and Kennard. Uh, so cherish it. It's going to be a younger offensive line next year. I think they'll develop to be similar to this one. It's hard to ask him to be like this, 
Uh, but uh, yeah, you got to cherish the group they have right now. It is phenomenal. And this is without Logan Stenberg, who, of course, is playing on Sundays right now. What about Aaron? Um, so one, I guess if you could call attention to one thing that Kentucky fans and I guess anybody following the program is maybe a concern point or the, the most worrisome thing is probably just the continuity on offense and specifically the play calling. Eddie Graham's still not the most popular man in the Commonwealth. What's your take on the play calling? I know you did the press conference and stuff today. And do you expect that to change? And how much do you think um, Mark Stoops has his hand in it? Is, is this all Eddie Grant calling these plays, or, or is Mark Stoops kind of captaining in that from afar? You know, it's funny you, you mentioned the play calling because uh, one of the funnier moments really all year from these press conferences was Mark uh, on Monday saying – uh, that I forget which play it was early in the game, so it ended up not making a difference. But it was a third down play or something, and Eddie actually called the wrong play because he was looking down at his sheet, but with the mask and his glasses, they fogged up. See, mm-hmm. he called the wrong play. Uh, so I thought that was pretty funny. But overall, you know, I'm not, I can't say I'm a fan of the quarterback draws. I kind of think that's something you kind of have to scratch just given uh, Landon, but. Part of it too, it's an RPO, so it's part of the. Uh, it's obviously run pass option. So Terry might not be having the best reads. Some of that actually might be on Terry. That's stuff that you know it's beyond me because I'm no football coach, so it's or player, so I don't really know what's happening there. Uh, I think that I, I was saying it earlier. Terry Wilson's been getting so much blame that he does not deserve. I mean, he has had his. There's no doubt. First game of the year. Uh, boneheaded decision on a free play not to take a shot uh, a couple different times with a two-point conversion, throwing it away. I get that. Um, there were a couple, The Mississippi State game, he was off. There's no doubt about it. Look at how many drops, though, from these guys, man. I mean, Keaton Upshaw drops a touchdown this week. The week before, it was, I believe, Demarcus Harris. Uh, who, no, was it Demarcus Harris who dropped one in the end zone? Someone dropped one in the end zone. Uh, against Keaton the- Upshaw. Upshaw did against Tennessee, but someone did against Mississippi State, too. I want to say it was – Oh, right, yeah, yeah. But um, – The Upshaw drop was brutal, too, like all negative things. Oh, that, that really, that's tough. And I think I said this last week, Aaron, but my thing with it is it does, Terry running doesn't bother me as much as I like the big threat, big play threats, vertical downfield. But, again, I keep saying this, like, the way that he plays, he, you know, he's not, he's not like a pocket passer where he's going through all these progressions. So naturally through the course of a game, he's going to get his runs in. He's probably going to get 10 rushes in or so with no play calls for him at all. So it seems weird to me during like, I don't know, crucial times when I guess a good play calls in order and then they go to like a kind of an RPO type deal where it seems at least like the first option is, is Terry run or at least somebody kind of run it in between the tackles or up the middle. And I don't know, it leaves a lot to be desired, but I could also argue it in the fact that it, it, the shit's been working for three years. Like, they they kind of pride themselves. You agree, Aaron? They kind of pride themselves or, or their game plan is just not to not to make mistakes on offense, not to beat themselves on offense and, you know, let the defense put them in a position to win. And that's kind of how it's been for the last several years, even with Lynn Bowden back there, you know, making sensational plays. I mean, the defense has won them games. I mean, look, they're – They've won the turnover battle twice this year. They're 2-0. and They've lost it twice. They're 0-2 in those games. So they're definitely going to play a little conservatively. I know Eddie Grant wants to throw the ball more. And I, I, going back to the drops, I mean, they were even – I mean, you look at – go back and look at the tape against Ole Miss. Terry was 14 for 18. He was great throwing the ball. He was great running the ball. Three of those – uh, three of those mm-hmm. – were drops. 
So yes. 17 for 18 that game. So he's not getting much help. That's why it's like the Joey Gatewood crowd. Look, Terry's been through – this guy has been through hell and back, man. I mean, he had an injury that most players – I mean, this is the injury that Bo Jackson's career ended on. Uh, when you think of an ultra athlete, it's Bo Jackson, and he couldn't recover from this. Uh, so – He's been through hell and back. This is it. He's made it clear, even though he has a blanket waiver here. This is it for him. Uh, he's a father now. Uh, I believe the baby was born at this point. Uh, yes, it was, uh, now that I think of it. But um, he's not going to be back next year playing. He's probably not – he's definitely not an NFL caliber guy. He's probably going to go a different direction in life after this year. And unless there's a dramatically terrible play and you have no chance to win the game with him out there, uh, I think you got to just – keep rolling with this kid he's overcome so much and I think this year I mean yes there were times in the Mississippi State game uh you're shaking your head with his play there was times in the Auburn game with the decision making which you were shaking your head with but he played great this week uh against Tennessee played outstanding against Ole Miss I think if this offensive line continues to gel I want to see the receivers catch the damn ball a little better, uh, not just Josh, Josh Ali. Uh, he's been great, but they got to get more production. Uh, Alan Daly stepped up this week, so I think he needs help. Uh, that's part of it. He's got to improve. That's one thing, too, but it's not time to give up on Terry Wilson. And as far as Eddie Grant goes, give the ball to Chris Rodriguez a little more, man. I mean, he. I hate the Benny Snow comparison just because I feel like Benny is a once-in-a-lifetime guy at, this, at, at Kentucky, but – I mean, Rodriguez is as close as it gets to from a body standpoint and just his style of running. And I know that Kentucky wants to give A.J. Rose so many opportunities because this is his last year. He's going to be 10th all-time in rushing in program history by the time he's done here. But Chris Rodriguez has been so freaking good. Um, he, they got to get him the ball more. I think he only got seven touches against Mississippi State, maybe like eight or nine against Tennessee, and he still had like 70 yards in both those games, or at least in the Tennessee game. You got to give him the ball more. Well, I have to apologize for something since you brought him up, Aaron, because I just remembered or I heard someone say it this weekend, but I had totally forgotten that A.J. Rose is an Eagle Scout. And that, in my book, would have been enough and then some to give him a pass on the throwing up the deuces and getting caught. Because, I mean, it's, it's literally what you say as like hyperbole, like, oh, they're an Eagle Scout. And it, it takes a lot to become an Eagle Scout. I've, I've known a few, and um, I respect that. So, very random, but my bad, AJ, you get a pass on that one. I was a little hard on you, but um, you, you've, earned, you've earned it as an Eagle Scout. Aaron, I guess lastly, kind of to wrap it up, man, um, I know you just kind of got out some press conference stuff. I know you've, you've done a little bit of that since Saturday. So I'm sure the vibe's a lot better. Any um, any tidbits from any of the um, media opportunities this week? Yeah, you're totally right. The vibe is a lot better. But this is a determined group, and I'm actually going to get one sound by in quickly. And the guy, Landon Young, is the most locked-in guy you'll ever listen to. Just This is him. He was talking about just, you know, Kentucky actually enters this game. I think they've won five in a row now against Missouri. So we talked about just – what it means to be on sides of streaks. And uh, he's a Kentucky guy born and raised, so the Tennessee streak, what it meant to him and clinching that. Just listen how determined this guy sounds. Uh, you know that there's always somebody else that's better than you. And, uh, you know, especially in the SEC, it's not so much of who has a team full of D1 or uh, first-round draft picks. It's who's going to go out there and execute it the cleanest. You know, who's going to make the, the first mistake? And, I, you know, you look at a lot of games that happened this last weekend and you, and you compare that to, like, everyone has good players in the SEC. But who's going to go over there and who's going to force turnovers? 
who's going to go out there and make mistakes, who's going to have penalties that kill them, uh, you know, pre-snap penalties or kill them, put them behind the uh, chains. And so um, each and so each and every week, it's it's sort of for us, we want to go out there and prove to everybody that we're the best. You know, we always get all the crap. We get all the, you know, UK's not good. They started off 0-2, all, you know, all this, all that. Well, keep on doubting us, and that's fine. You know, we're going to go out there and we're going to try to disprove you every single week. We want to make the streaks of our own. We're definitely tired of them. I've lived them through my whole life. And, you know, hearing about the Florida streak and not being able to beat them there, going down to Rocky Top and never being able to beat them in their own stadium for the last 36 years. And, you know, we want to break that. And not only break it, but we want to make it our streak. Turn it around on them for the next 36 years and see how it feels. Yeah, I love that love kid. We, we, I, like, Sorry about that. Yeah, uh, he's locked in, I'd say. <laughs> Seriously. And uh, shout out to the Young family. Um, his dad, Randall Young, has been on the Kentucky Dad podcast, which you can also find on the Sea of Blue Network and Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So just a world-class family, man. And football aside, obviously, they're just – he's such a well-spoken, grew up on a farm. Everybody that knows him will tell you he'll lend a helping hand to anybody. And when I was talking to his dad, I thought it was so cool, Aaron, because they just deserve it so much. But, you know, barring any kind of just crazy – horrible thing to happen or something like Landon Young's going to be playing NFL football and you know just knowing that as a father and just kind of thinking hey you know maybe I'll be we'll be in Miami maybe we'll be here and just you know they deserve it and he's right man he's totally he's turning the streets around on them I love that I never even thought about that we're we're starting streaks of our own so yeah you can feel it man The, the vibe is better and that was another reason that I like Kentucky's chances going to Knoxville was just when they're playing confident because they have experience, you know, they know they can do it. So I thought that them going down there with a little more confidence, especially defensively would go a long way, but it looks like it carried over even to the offensive line because, you know, that that's the term pancake. And I mean, they were getting them every series. It seemed like. Maybe that's why the defensive line coach was fired. <laughs> I mean, it was. Yeah. No, that's what I said. I mean, Kentucky's over here running lives, man, with their play. Wives are divorcing husbands, potentially. I, I'm pretty sure she came back. I'm sure that's fine. I'm going to lose sleep over this poor guy losing his wife. We didn't play that clip, actually. But good stuff all around, man. Maybe we can catch back up a little before the Missouri game. We didn't get into a ton of preview there. But just had to celebrate, man. It was really cool. I know I was writing some stuff for a Sea of Blue on Sunday morning, and I'm like, damn, I'm, I'm one of the first people to write an article about Kentucky winning in Knoxville. <laughs> Since 1984, no one's had that opportunity, all the people that have covered Kentucky football. So, really neat, and it is, like Landon says, pretty cool to see some streaks starting of their own. Agreed. I think that uh, this is a huge – that was such a huge game. And like I said, uh, it's a momentum builder. We'll see what Tennessee ends up becoming. Uh, They've obviously – it's been a tale of – kind of like Kentucky started, it's been a tale of two halves, right? I mean, just the polar opposite for Tennessee, two great wins to open the year, two terrible losses back-to-back. Uh, so maybe Tennessee ends up being three and seven at the end of the year. But no matter how they finish, uh, this is a huge win for Kentucky. It's a monkey off their back. It's a ranked first win over a ranked Tennessee team, by the way, since 1959. I mean, wow. just so much, so much that they were able to get off their shoulders here. But uh, they gotta, they gotta turn it into something now. They gotta take care of business this week. Not overlook Missouri. And then you have you still have Georgia, Florida, Alabama, and South Carolina on your schedule. It ain't getting easier. Yeah, there's no time. There's no time to let up with a ten-game SEC schedule. And to be honest, man, if we're being real, every two weeks we might be having one of these roller coaster type podcasts where the world's ending, then everything's great again oh, yeah. because every SEC win really does mean a lot unless it's Vandy. So I'm looking forward to it, man. Again, I'm I'm really optimistic 
are excited, I guess, that if Kentucky can, can get this win Saturday, I think that's going to set up a, one pretty sweet game for Halloween. So we'll stay in touch, Aaron, and um, I will hopefully talk to you before Saturday. All right. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow Cats by 90 on Twitter at Cats by 90. You can also follow Aaron and Drew at agershon 99 and at Big Blue Drew 33. And remember, no matter the opponent, it's always Cats by 90.